Welcome to Fresh Start Church Online. Our mission is to help people find a fresh start through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if we can pray for you or help you in any way. Now here's Pastor Bruce with this week's message. to uh, have us celebrate the Lord's Supper today and thought uh, there's nothing more appropriate than just spending our whole time based around this, Uh, both our time in God's Word and our time uh, participating in this celebration. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Christians living in Corinth, and he, he specifically addressed the Lord's Supper. There was lots of issues going on. Uh, they were already messed up. The church was messed up all the way back then. They had people that were, uh, what was supposed to be the Lord's Supper, there was people getting drunk. Uh, there was people going hungry with no food and uh, all kinds of other issues that he addressed. But in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 23, he he just focuses in on uh, where this celebration came from and what it means. He says, for this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it. My family moved here to Florida when I was a year and a half old, so I've lived here, uh, I guess, 54 years. And this past week, Valerie and I, it was our 38th anniversary, and we went down to a little timeshare, uh, thanks to Groupon, a little timeshare down on Hutchinson Island uh, by Stewart. And as I was looking for things to do there, there was a place called the Refuge House. I'd never heard of it, didn't know anything about the history. And we went one rainy morning, and I I was just fascinated to find out uh, what a house of refuge was, what it meant uh, throughout history. Back in 1875, the federal government built 10 houses of refuge along the Florida coastline, 25 miles apart. They started in Miami, and every 25 miles they put one of these houses of refuge. And they were there to provide shelter and food for shipwrecked uh, people. That is, ships would pass uh, from South America, Central America. They would all go by Florida to go all the way up the Gulf Stream across to Spain and Portugal. And as ships would pass coral reefs off of Florida. Uh, Some of them would hit those reefs and wreck. And so these houses of refuge were set up specifically with a watchtower, and there was a man who was the keeper of the the house and his family, and they'd live in this little tiny house, and it's still there from 1875. This is the only original one that's still still standing. And the upstairs had rows of cots, and, and that's where when they would find shipwreck victims, they would keep 10 days' supply of food, And that's where they would come and stay, and they could have food until they could catch a ride with the next ship going by. And they had a little cannon that uh, if if a ship wrecked or if people, they saw them, you know, in a dinghy or they saw them swimming, it was like a little cannon that would shoot 200 yards. It would shoot a rope with a life uh, preserver 200 yards out into the ocean so people could grab on, and then they'd pull them back in. 
And, and so the families that would live there would go up on a tower and they'd watch every day. Uh, they'd walk 10 miles along the beach every day just looking for shipwrecked victims. And I thought, how cool is that? Uh, just, but, but what struck me was, I've lived here 54 years. I've never heard of that. And, and one of the places, if you know the Sebastian Beach Inn and Sebastian, that was one of the original locations. The tower's not there anymore, but that was one of these places. And so for there to be this, this history that not only was back into the 1800s, but all the way through World War I and World War II, the Navy took these places over, and, and it was actually naval stations. And so uh, they had pictures of German U-boats that could be seen off the coast of Florida. Uh, I had no idea they ever came that close. And so I, I, I saw this history, and I thought, how could something like that exist in the state that I've lived in my whole life, and I've never heard about it? I didn't know uh, the meaning, even of the one in Sebastian. I saw that tower there for years, and I was just always told it was a Coast Guard tower, which it was. The Coast Guard took over those facilities at one point. But I, I never knew the history. I never knew the meaning of uh, su such an awesome thing here in Florida. And it's the same thing with the Lord's Supper. You know, I grew up in a church that celebrated the Lord's Supper a lot. And I don't remember anybody ever teaching us what it meant. I don't remember anyone ever teaching us uh, the significance, the richness. We just knew, okay, there's bread, there's juice or wine, and, and it's supposed to represent the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. But, but, but I really didn't understand the richness of it. And, and so today I just want to take a, a historical view, go back to the uh, beginning of Scripture, to help us find... throughout thousands of years of history, find the significance of this special celebration. Some call it communion. Some call it the Eucharist. If you grew up in a, a Catholic church or other uh, liturgical churches, it was called the Eucharist. Uh, others just refer to it as communion. So Paul says, I pass this on to you just as I received it. And, and it's so important for us. I was hoping Devin would stay. Because it, it's so important that we, as adults, be able to pass on the significant things uh, about God. So often we feel like, well, we can just tell our kids or our grandkids how to go to church, but we may not be able to really explain things to them. And so this is just a, a valuable thing, just as Paul passed it on uh, to us 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's so important for us to be able to pass this on to our children and our grandchildren. So where does it begin? It, it begins all the way back in the book of Genesis. Uh, familiar story, Adam and Eve. Uh, they rebelled against God. They broke the only rule that God gave them. And it broke their relationship with God. God, God would literally come down and walk with them and talk with them. He created this paradise for them. And uh, they knew as soon as they had done what was wrong, as soon as they had disobeyed God, uh, they were shamed. They, they, they were afraid of seeing God after that. And so God came down to visit as he did, and uh, they were hiding. 
and they'd taken uh, leaves off the plants to cover themselves because now all of a sudden they realized they weren't wearing clothes and all of a sudden they, they felt not just physically naked before God, but they felt like they had to try to cover their sin. But God found them and uh, was heartbroken over what they'd done. But then God, even through his prized creation, and even though they had disobeyed him and they had rebelled against him, despite that, God provided animal skins to cover them. And we just think, well, animal skins make better clothes than leaves, but that wasn't the meaning. It required a blood sacrifice. It required the, the death of an animal. It required blood to cover their sin. And that was just the first, first view of what was to come later, uh, 4,000 years later, when Jesus would die on the cross. And, and then we go forward in Genesis to the story of Abraham and Isaac and and Abraham's a righteous man. He's following God. He's serving God. He worships God. And after giving his wife giving birth at 100 years of age, he knows that God truly is a miraculous God. And God has already promised to him that he was going to be used that through him, through the generations to come, that they would point to the Savior. And so Abraham was the father of the, of the Jewish faith. And then God asks Abraham to do the unspeakable. He asks him to kill his own son as an act of worship on an altar to present him as a sacrifice to God. And Abraham, I can't comprehend it, but Abraham obeyed. And you know the story. As soon as Isaac was, was laid out to be sacrificed and Abraham raised the knife to kill his own son in obedience to God. God provided a substitute. All of a sudden, there was a ram to be sacrificed in place of Isaac. And, and so God provided a substitute so that Isaac didn't have to die. And that, again, was pointing to uh, Jesus, who was to come, who substituted himself for us. That He took our place. We deserve to die. Jesus didn't deserve to die, but he took our place on the cross. He substituted himself. And then we get to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And here were God's people who'd been slaves for 430 years. There were 600,000 men. And we don't know how many women and children. The Bible just says 600,000 men and all the women and all the children. So I'm, I'm sure it was well over a million people living in Egypt as slaves. And Egypt at that time was the most powerful political force on the planet. They were the most powerful cultural force. They didn't just stay in Egypt. They went out and conquered other lands. And, and so here was this powerhouse that had held God's people captive for 430 years. But God prepared to set them free. And he prepared to judge the Egyptians, to pour out his wrath on the Egyptians for not allowing his people to go, for treating them so badly. And so God told his people 
here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a lamb, and it has to be a male lamb, and it, it can't have anything wrong with it. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be unblemished. And I want you to sacrifice that lamb, and it's going to be a special meal for you. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb, and I want you to paint it over the the doorpost of your house because I'm about to send judgment upon Egypt, but I'm going to pass over every house that has the blood of the lamb painted over it because the blood of the lamb will signify that you're my people, that you belong to me. Now, what a bizarre thing. What a bizarre thing to be asked. But they obeyed. And when God brought his judgment on Egypt, Every house that had the blood of the Lamb was passed over. There was no judgment placed upon them. And then they got to be set free as Moses led them out of captivity into freedom. And God told them, I want you to remember this forever. When you eat this meal, and that was the first Passover meal, which is what where the Lord's Supper was celebrated by Jesus, was part of the Passover and, and so somewhere between 1,250 and 450 years before Christ, God's people are set free. And they're told, every year I want you to have this meal. Every year, this Passover meal with the lamb and, and the bread and the wine, I want you to have this meal every year. And I want you to tell your children what it means. I want you to remind them what this means, that you are slaves and I set you free. And so they did. And the Jewish people to this day celebrate the Passover meal. Even though they've missed the the significance of Christ coming and fulfilling that, they continue to celebrate the Passover meal. So for 1,200, 1,300, 1,400 years, every year, the Jewish people would celebrate this special meal. And then along comes Jesus. And John the Baptist, do you remember, was given the, the unique mission on earth, that his entire mission was to prepare the way for Jesus who was yet to come. And so John came and he preached and he preached repentance and he was baptizing people. And then the first time that he sees Jesus, Jesus comes walking up. And John the Baptist has already told people, I'm not the guy. Everybody started to kind of follow him and thought he was going to be the, the savior. And he said, no, that's not me. I'm just here to prepare the way. He said, I'm I'm not even fit to tie his sandals. I'm baptizing with water, but there's one to come. He's going to baptize with fire, with power. And so along comes Jesus when John's out baptizing people. And John sees him, and it was so significant. John said, look, here comes not Jesus... Not Jesus from Nazareth. Not even Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. No. He said, here comes... Didn't use the word Jesus at all. He said, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so he recognized him. He recognized that Jesus was the sacrificial 
lamb. He hadn't died yet, but he, he would. And, and the sacrificial lamb, and he remembered all the way back to the Exodus. He remembered the blood of the lamb painted over the doorpost of the houses is what saved people. He remembered that, that Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, but then this substitutionary lamb was available for a sacrifice so that Isaac could be saved. And John the Baptist recognized that. And he said, this is the Lamb of God. Not just another sacrifice. Not just part of our annual Passover meal. This is the Lamb of God. It's going to take away the sins of the world. Of everyone who would place their faith in him. And so Paul... This is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it. He's passing on this history. He's passing on this uh, most symbolic of all acts. He's passing on all of the truth that led up to Jesus' coming. Pass it on to you just as I received it. On the night when he was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed. When Jesus sat down, it was during the Passover. He, he sent a couple of his, his uh, disciples to go prepare the Passover meal, have everything ready. Then they all got there and they all sat down to have the, the entire Passover meal. Not just bread and, and wine, but they had wine, they had lamb, they had all the different ingredients of the Passover meal. And Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. Can you imagine sitting down to what the artists call the last supper? This was the last meal for Jesus. This was his last time to be with his friends. This was the last time to be with the 12 guys that he poured his life into for three years. It was his last time to share with them. To cast vision in them. This was, this was it. And Jesus said, I'm about to go suffer. But I've been anxious to be with you guys. I've, I've wanted this time together. How would you feel knowing that you're sitting at the table sharing the most special holiday, the most special meal of the entire year? You're sharing that with 11 guys who love you and one guy who hates you. 11 guys that follow you. One guy that's about to betray you and have you killed. And yet Jesus was there with the betrayal. He was there with the betrayer. He was there with Judas who was about to, to turn him in. To have him arrested. And have him killed. But that's, that's what gives us hope. That God, even when we've betrayed him, God is with us. And he doesn't want us to continue to betray him. He wants us to turn and, and follow him and worship him and serve him. But on this night, when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took, took a loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. So Jesus took bread. This was after the Passover meal. He, he took 
the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks to, to God the Father. I want us just to take a minute and give thanks before we partake of this. I want us just to give thanks. And, and you know, there's lots of ways of doing that, but I, I just want to open up. If, if any of you would like to just say something you're thankful for. Here Jesus is thanking God for the food, we assume. But he's thanking God even though he's about to enter into the worst time of his life, the worst time in all of history. And yet, even in the darkest of circumstances, he gave thanks. And there's so much there for us to learn because it's so hard for us to give thanks when times are hard. It's so hard for us to give thanks when things aren't going the way we want. It's so hard for us to give thanks when it seems like everything's against us. It's so hard for us to give thanks when it seems like God has turned his back on us. And yet Jesus in that darkest of moments, gave thanks. Who would like to share something that you're thankful to God for? It can be just a a word. It can be just a sentence. Something you'd like to thank God for this morning. Not all at once. I'm thankful for God's grace that that even when I mess up, He still loves me. That even when I don't show Him love, He loves me. That even when I do what I know is wrong, He loves me. What are you guys thankful for? Let's just let's just bow our heads for a minute and and just in silence you can thank God. take a minute to just thank him for maybe it's for your salvation maybe it's for your your family maybe it's for your kids or grandkids father god I thank you for this bread and this juice. I thank you, Father, that it's so much more than just a little bit of food. But it's to remind us of what Jesus went through for us. That he actually allowed his body to be broken. And his blood to be shed so that we could be saved. Father, give us thankful hearts. If Jesus could give thanks 
sitting with his betrayer, if Jesus could give thanks on the night that he was to be arrested, if Jesus could give thanks the day before he was going to be killed, then, Father, certainly we have things to be thankful for. Even in the difficult circumstances of life, help us to become thankful people. So Jesus gave thanks and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. And, and so we, we do this and we remember that Jesus died for us. We remember that Jesus is with us now, that his Holy Spirit lives in us, and we remember that he's coming again. Just tear off a piece of bread as we pass the, the baskets down the table, and you can just hold on to it. Don't eat it yet. So Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and you. It's the new covenant. What was the old covenant? The old covenant was the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments serve to show us that we're not perfect. To show us that we're lawbreakers. To show us that we need a Savior. If we could fulfill the Ten Commandments on our own, then we wouldn't need a Savior. But we can't. And so we do. And so the new covenant, the new agreement between God and us, is that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be saved. That if we trust in what he did on the cross, as his finished work on the cross, he was the final sacrifice. There's no more sacrifices being offered. There's no more blood to be shed. Our, our sins have already been forgiven. Yesterday's sins and today's sins and tomorrow's sins have already been forgiven. And so he took the cup of wine said, this is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. That means... It's official. It's over. You know, in those days, if you've seen movies with kings, when they would send out a letter, they would put their official seal on a, on a document to show that it, was, uh, that it was directly from the king. And so Jesus' blood is what sealed this permanent agreement that anyone that would put their faith in him would not perish, but that we'd have everlasting life. So it's been sealed by the shedding of my blood, he says, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So as we pass the cup, you can just dip and go ahead and, and eat the bread. And
there's so many different views about this simplest of meals. The Catholics believe that when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, that he meant it literally. And so they believe that literally the bread that they use is the physical body of Christ, that the juice or the wine that the priest drinks literally is uh, the blood of Christ. That's why when Catholics walk into a church, they they bow down because the, where the uh, bread is kept uh, in a, up front, they believe Jesus himself is there. And that's why when the priests walk in and they carry the staff, in the middle of the staff is a little wafer, and they believe that's literally Jesus just walked into the room. And, and so that's that's the, the basis for their belief is that that literally is, is the body and blood of Jesus. Others believe that it's the, the spiritual food that we get. It's, that it's not literally the body and blood of Jesus, but that it, 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 that's how we feed from Jesus, the bread of life. I believe it's just symbolic. Jesus said, as often as you do this, just remember, remember me. If you've ever thought you were dying, if you've ever gotten bad test results, if you've ever uh, you know, had, had reason to question the, the length of your life, you've probably spent a little bit of time at least wondering, what would people say about me at my funeral? How, how will people remember me? Will they remember me as a mean old grouch? Will they remember me as loving and caring? How, how will people remember me? Well, Jesus used this very interesting illustration. He didn't say, remember all the people that I healed. He didn't say, remember all the miracles that I performed. He didn't say, remember that day I walked on water. Remember that after they killed me, I came back to life. Jesus said, when you do this, remember me. Remember my sacrifice. If you've ever sacrificed something, and we all have, for someone else, if you've ever sacrificed for your spouse, Barbara's sacrificing right now with Roy, who's had back surgery and a heart attack this week. If you've ever sacrificed for your kids, if you've done without so that someone else could have something, you, you know how, how much that means to you, having given the sacrifice, but you also know how much you want it to mean for the person that you sacrificed for. You hope that they will appreciate what you did. You hope that uh, the things you did without so that they could have, that they'll appreciate that someday. Well, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And he wants us to appreciate what he's done, not to take it for granted. And, and it's so easy with things like the Lord's Supper, it's so easy to take them for granted and just to think, yeah, that's just something we do at church. It just represents the body and the blood of Christ. But my prayer is that, that when we read Scripture, when we have the Lord's Supper, when we do things like this, we really will remember. We really will remember. And that we'll just be in awe every time. That every time will be, wow. When we took a tour of, of the refuge house this week that I told you about, there was the man who's the, the, the keeper of the house. That's his official position. He's on the list of men ever since 1875. 
And then there was a lady that worked there who's only been there a short time. And she gave us the tour. He talked to us before the tour started. And he talked to us after the tour. But she gave us the tour. And afterwards, Valerie and I both said, I, 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 was it Jim? Mm-hmm. I wish Jim had get I wish we could have the tour from Jim. Why? Because Jim was in awe. It was his job to be there, to run the little gift shop and the museum. But he was in awe of this place. He remembered what had happened there. He remembered the sacrifices. I asked him how many people had been rescued. And he said, well, we hate to tell people. He said, as best we can tell by all the different records, it's between 35 and 40 people. This place was started in 1875. And he said, whenever we tell people that, they always say, oh, that's not many. But then I beat him to to his response. I said, it is if you were one of the 35 or 40. To those 35 or 40, there would not have been life if it hadn't been for that rescue house. So they, even the minority, even that small number, I guarantee you are appreciative for what had been done for them. We want the world to know Christ. But the fact is, we know him. We've received his gift of salvation. And so we, as we take the bread and the wine, should remember and we should be in awe. We should never let it become ritual. It should always be rich and deep as we realize what Jesus really did for us. We know it here, we know it here, but we need to be in awe every time that God in the flesh died so that I could have a relationship with him forever, so that I could be made presentable, so that I could be made righteous and holy. I want us to pray. It says that after they had this last supper, the Lord's Supper, the final Passover, that afterwards they sang a song. And we're going to do that too in just a minute. But I want us just to pray. Father, it's beyond comprehension that you, a perfect, holy, righteous God, would want a relationship with us, imperfect, unrighteous people. And Father, even more, more hard to grasp than that you would want a relationship with us is that you would provide a solution to the problem you didn't cause. But you would provide a way that we could be saved. A way that we could be made righteous. So that we can be with you for eternity. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your salvation. Thank you so much, God. For the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that he died for us. Thank you, Father, that he lives in us. And thank you, Father, that he's coming for us. Help us, Father, to never forget. Help us, Father, not just to remember his sacrifice, even during this meal, but to remember it daily. 
and to give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.